Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. My name's Catherine Carr, and this is Relatively, the podcast all about potentially the longest relationships of your life. This week we're talking to Stephen Mangan and his little sister, Anita Mangan. He was a good older brother. I I say was, I don't mean that he isn't now. (laughs) They used to call me Leo No Bum because I had the hair of Leo Sayre and no bum. I'll be bringing siblings together to talk about the connections they have as adults, as well as what it was like growing up together. All right. I mean, yeah, we did, we did dance routines, OK? I'm just going to say it. <laughs> you think your legs would still just do the routine if the music came on and you wouldn't be able to stop them? I'd do them every Sunday morning on my own, crying for my lost childhood. <laughs> but I'll also talk to them separately to get a more private take on the relationship. She's kind of... Uh, become the centre of the family. In Ireland as well, that you, you sort of the, the favoured one, the boy. <laughs> Brothers and sisters are never straightforward. Stephen, Anita and their other sister Lisa grew up in London with their parents who'd emigrated from Ireland as a young couple. They describe an Irish upbringing, albeit in Edmonton, with Uncle Paddy and the cousins just around the corner. We talk about boarding school, about being the only boy in an Irish family, inappropriate song lyrics and slidey floors. We also talk about the books that Stephen and Anita have done together and about the grief of losing their parents young and the hilarious, hilarious nicknames. But Stephen started by describing the interminable journeys back to the west coast of Ireland that the family took every summer. There's a myth that I think that my my sisters started that I... I would be stretched out across the entire back seats. I have heard this. <laughs> uh, while they were in the footwells, um, which I, I, I want to publicly take this my opportunity to refute this. <laughs> it's, it's so true. It's so true. He, he thought, he convinced us that it would be a really good idea for him to lie down on the back seat and the days before. <laughs> before seatbelts kids um and and lisa and i would love to go in the footwells and and sleep there on the on the 30 hour journey to ireland um (laughs) (laughs) and it's totally true believe me i mean it's borderline abuse if you think it is never mind the borderline (laughs) total (laughs) yeah so um so we'd also feed him grapes and just you know check check his temperature make sure he was okay uh, tickle his feet, scratch his back. <laughs> We'd do anything for him. I mean, it, it felt like going to the other side of the planet because you had to drive away to Liverpool, which was four or five hours, and then you had to take an eight-hour eight ferry, and then you had to drive another six and a half hours once you got to Dublin. So Oof. it did feel like these journeys were to the other side of the planet, mm. even though we were only going to the west coast of Ireland. I used to wind him up quite a lot as a kid, you know, in car journeys, where I just place my finger on her shoulder, for example, and just leave it there, you know, in that <laughs> annoying older brother way. And then when she'd complain to my parents, 
the finger would be gone. I'd be like, what are you talking about? Oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> on my shoulder, <laughs> just, to, just to roll me. <laughs> um, so I'd, I'd try and sit there and just, you know, not react to it because that was the worst thing you could do is not react. So, you know, I just hoped he'd get bored. But after a while, I just went, oh, well, just get off me. And I'd, you know, <laughs> scream and then mum and dad could get cross and threaten to throw us out of the car and all that sort of thing. Occasionally, Dad would get out, you know, the hand would come back to give us a wallop and we would all flatten <laughs> to either side of the car. Um, we call that the I windmilling arm of justice. The windmilling <laughs> arm nice. of justice, exactly. Um, yeah. And occasionally I would get car sick, which would irritate everyone because, you know, who wants to stop while a small boy in shorts <laughs> is throwing up into a bit of Irish heather when you've still got four hours to go? Um I used to have this little kind of perfume stick. You know what perfume it was? I have no idea. But but as soon as we drove anywhere in Ireland, <laughs> through farmland, I just shout, "Oh, cow smell!" She would completely freak out and grab this sort of perfumed pencil pen that she had with her and shove it up her nose. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that, I, that was that was probably the low point of the journey. And how, and do you have any nicknames for him? Um, we did used to call him Leo Sayer because of his large hair, um, <laughs> large curly hair. We now call him Esteban, which is Spanish um, for Stephen, <laughs> or Esteban de la Frontera. It's something that you know just comes out every now and then. It's not one of those nicknames he's had all his life. Leo Sayer was probably the childhood nickname that we I gave bet him. he loved that. Yeah. <laughs> um, Do you have any nicknames for her? Um, Neats. Nini, uh, Nini. I mean, I don't. I call her Nita. Nita, I suppose. Nita. That's it. On those long car journeys back she, she to called, she called me. By the way, when I was younger, she used, they used to call me Leo No Bum because I had the hair, <laughs> the hair of Leo Sare and No Bum, <laughs> which is cruel considering I just called her Nita. Yeah, which is nice. Yeah. Leo Sayer used to live near my auntie, and you'd see oh, him. Really? It was like a treat. Yeah, it was like a sort of bingo card when you'd be driving along the lanes, and you'd see this like perm in a Jaguar coming along. Was he lanes. wearing dungarees and doing that dance when he lifts his knees up? <laughs> Not when he was driving. That would have been. A, I love Leo Sayer. <laughs> well, you have to say that because you share his hair. I have to say that. In fact, when I re- recently <laughs> co-hosted Pointless, they ask what name you want on your dressing room. Um, <laughs> Uh, and I have just in case you know someone strange gets into the building and tries to I don't know hit you over the head so uh, I shouldn't say this probably I'm releasing the secrets of pointless but my name was Leo Nurbom uh, in, in, in homage to Leo Nurbom. This is like having Jamie Lee Curtis at the BAFTAs telling us all the um, showbiz secrets you do realize. Yeah I mean this is you're literally getting some pretty decent decent, decent content. Here. Decent content. <laughs> he used to actually he used to call me short body fat bum. <laughs> that, that, can is ask him about that. <laughs> that is not a nice thing to call somebody <laughs> wow wow i think in 2023 would get you cancelled as a big brother get, well it just has hasn't it <laughs> <laughs> anyway it's been nice thanks for my career everybody and... you can forget that no cowed play that's not yeah <laughs> fatty <laughs> I hang my head in shame. So on those long car journeys back to the sort of cowpats of Ireland, yeah. did you um, did you play music? Were you playing Leo Sayer in the family estate? What was happening? 
going to Ireland, it was always Don Williams in the car. The country music came on then. Yeah. Uh, what we would do, we would listen to uh, audio books or audio cassettes of Sleeping Beauty, Morgana, and <laughs> things like that, which were great. Thinking about music, mum and dad used to put, it seemed like every Sunday they put records on the record player because it was it was always like waiting for Sunday lunch and the records would go on and music that reminds me of home is definitely John Denver leaving mm. on a jet plane my parents used to have parties and um you know the rug would rub your old back and these sort of terrible Irish jigs would be played at two in the morning and everyone was you know very much the worse for wear and we'd sit at the top of the stairs and look down and we had this old record player that was my mum and dad's and it was one of those ones where you stack them up and they drop down and there were all these records in there and the one that we used to play all the time was King of the Road by Roger Miller oh yeah and there's a bit in it that it's almost like he burps in it it's there's just one bit and we always without fail used to just kill ourselves laughing at it <laughs> King of the Road yes we had an old record player an old uh, yeah that would and a, just a pile of 45s that were just they weren't even in sleeves were they they were just sort of no. all in a big box and but there was that bit in that song Stephen do you remember when it went I ain't got no cigarettes we'd also go to Mallorca on holiday things like Demis Roussos and ABBA um, oh, yeah. And then, uh, am I going on a bit too long about music? <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm just going to say you like music more than Stephen because he was hopeless. I oh, really he can yeah. remember. <laughs> well, he he might remember Racy, the song called "Some Girls," very inappropriate '70s song. We all made up a dance to it, and he he cannot oh. deny that. Um, we'll ask him straight away. <laughs> <laughs> if only there were uh, video cameras in those days. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, which is a song now that if you listen back to that, that should get them cancelled. The lyrics are absolutely yeah. incredible. It's really some girls out. do and some girls don't. Some girls need a lot of loving and some girls won't. I mean, yeah, it's it's it's, it's <laughs> and it gets worse. So yeah, uh, but yeah, we did. We would. Um, yeah, all right. I mean, yeah, we did. We did dance routines. Okay, I'm just going to say it. <laughs> Could you yeah. still, do you think your legs would still just do the routine if the music came on? You wouldn't be able to stop them. They'd just be sort of. <laughs> we need a slidey floor, don't we? Muscle we need memory. A... <laughs> oh, a slidey floor. Okay. I'd, yeah. I'd do them every Sunday morning on my own, crying for my lost childhood. <laughs> That's the point I wanted well. to get to. <laughs> what he'd do is he'd lick his finger and smooth his eyebrows out, and then he'd start and do it. That's it. That's it. That's, that's, that's the beginning. I just remember it. I mean, they do say, don't they, if you had a happy childhood, you don't remember it. And I kind of, it was a really happy childhood. My, our parents were very much in love with each other. They would, you know, uh, that was really clear always. Um, we would watch the black and white films on telly on a Saturday morning, a bit of Harold Lloyd, <laughs> Laurel and Hardy. Uh, we'd play in the garden. Uh, my dad's brother lived around the corner from us. And even when we moved house at one point, quite a few miles, they moved house to again be right around the corner from us. <laughs> that was my uncle Paddy. And he had three children, a boy who was the eldest and two girls. Oh. So they were like a sort of mirror family and, and kind of like an extra. They were sort of, you know, almost brothers and sisters. So we'd spend a lot of time with them. Cousins of ours lived around the corner from from us, like forever. Every house we moved to, they moved around the corner. We'd play together, we'd get on our bikes together with them. And that was just three cousins. We've got about 50-odd, I think, just on one side of the family. It was a busy house and busy streets with kids cycling around on choppers and stuff. 
the paddling pool would come out in the summer and we'd splash around that in our vest and pants. <laughs> uh, sometimes we'd make up plays and inflict them on people. We'd play shops. We'd sit there and get everything out of our cupboards and put <laughs> price tags on it, <laughs> 3p, 4p, 5p, and sell stuff to each other with paper money. Um <laughs> Was it a happy household? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was. It was a happy household. You know, you, you sort of remember the holidays and the, the long summer holidays, which were mostly boring, but you'd then end up just making up games and things because there was nothing else to do. No TV. <laughs> we get on, we got on and we get on really well together, the three of us. He, yeah, he was, he was a good older brother. I say was. I don't mean that he not he isn't now. <laughs> he stopped being one of yeah. When he was ago. about six. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah. And did you have a sense of belonging that came from being in a big tribe like that? Uh, definitely, yeah. Because because our mum and dad are from literally two miles apart from each other in Ireland. So so I always felt when whenever I went back there that that that's where I was from, even though I was born in Edmonton. <laughs> As, as a sidebar, I, I only recently realised that we're called Stephen, Anita and Lisa and not Patrick, Mary and <laughs> Siobhan. And I wonder, I've always, I sort of wondered when I realised that, whether mum was trying to not free us of our Irish heritage. I think she was very proud to be Irish. But in the early, late 60s, early 70s in London, being Irish was not necessarily the most no. popular um place to have come from and there was lots of trouble obviously and they both had to come over and do very menial jobs so whether that was an aspirational thing giving us slightly non-irish names anyway i digress did you and what was it like for Stephen? do you think being the only boy and the eldest do you think that set him apart in any way uh, yes, yes, it probably did because because also you know he was um, the oldest boy and you know in in Ireland as well that you you sort of the the favoured one the boy <laughs> um, and all but but also you know he he probably had a hard time in that he probably t- got told multitude of times that he should know better if he did anything wrong. I was treated differently. Yeah, I mean we had parents who were born and brought up in Ireland in the west coast of Ireland, both very bright, both very poorly educated, both had to leave school at 14, from large families. Dad was one of nine, mum was one of seven. Mm. And there was definitely a divide over how boys and girls were treated, both in their generation and the way they treated us. I think it was assumed... Oh dear, I mean, I don't know. Mum was very young. Mum was only 21 or 22 when she had me. Wow. And I, I, I was spoilt a bit, I think, or, or, or ex- there were different expectations, I suppose. My mm-hmm. sisters always used to say if they wanted anything from our parents, they would get me to ask because they had much more of a chance of getting it if I asked <laughs> over them asking. They were expected to help mum out at home inside. I was expected to help dad out doing DIY and mowing the lawn. My grandparents definitely treated boys and girls differently my granny once brought out a plate of smoked salmon i think it was smoked salmon gave me a big heap of it and said to my sisters have you ever had smoked salmon and they said no and she said well what you don't know you won't miss and she gave the oh rest to God. me <laughs> yeah 
So there was all that going on. And I think I went, you know, yeah, it's very confusing because that, yeah, it's very odd. I mean, what a... But also he went off to um, boarding school. So that's that sort of set him apart as well a bit. Mm. Um, and that, you know, and then Lisa and I, she and I always shared a room. He had his own room. You know, there's there's lots of lots of reasons, you know, that he was sort of apart from us. But, you know, we were a, we were a tight unit, definitely. I ended up going to private schools. Mm. My sisters went to the local state schools. I don't think it's because my parents thought education wasn't valuable to girls, but there may have been a very small attitude of that I would need it more. I mean, mum, you know, worked until she got married and then looked after us. So mm. I suppose they thought that was the way it was going to go with our generation. You'd be the provider uh, I, for the next lot. I would be the provider, you know, and mm. I was born in the 60s. So it's a long, long time ago. <laughs> um, we, we all knew we were loved and we all, we were encouraged to be funny and to be ourselves. But yeah, there, there was a, I suppose, like a lot of immigrant families, I don't know, um, maybe it's not just immigrant families, but there was a sense that it was really important for me to do well at school and to get good qualifications. Mm. And that's partly the reason I went off and did a law degree rather than putting on leotards and tights and becoming an actor earlier. Uh, <laughs> I felt I needed, you know, I, why go to college to study drama? It seemed frivolous. I studied a subject I didn't really want to do. Yeah, and I can understand that. I can sort of understand that. I think that must be a common experience of a lot of children born to parents who didn't quite achieve what they could have achieved 40, mm. 50, yeah. 60 years ago. And so, so. Wh when you went off to boarding school then, I read somewhere that that was a bit of a um, watershed moment for you in your childhood. Is that right? Yeah, I, it was definitely a watershed moment because I I went away and I was away from home for most of the year. And already... I was the boy and I had two sisters. So even though we always got on and we you know, had a laugh together, there was slight sort of separation there. And then me going to boarding school age 13 and them going to the same school uh, in London as each other, it, it felt like a, a watershed moment. And then it only exacerbated the kind of slightly special way I was treated because when I did come home suddenly it was the prodigal son's back and special pudding Stephen is that what we're talking about well the food the food the food was good you know and I did get you know I did get the, the plate piled high and uh, not just mm. with smoked salmon so yeah <laughs> um yeah it was a bit weird and then and then I went away to university and and, and I, I slightly well I, I wouldn't send my skids to boarding school put it that way I wouldn't do Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. So, 
um, how would you describe Stephen's um, character and role in the family? Oh, he's very much the the head of the family. Um, when I say the head of the family, not the whole Mangan family. He's not the godfather or anything. <laughs> Kissing <laughs> the ring. To, yeah, exactly. Actually, he wouldn't. He, you know, that wouldn't surprise me. No, um, he is big brother. He's our big brother. Yeah, we sort of we do look up to him. I wonder how you would describe um, her character and her role in the family, please. Ah, she's kind of uh, become the centre of the family, uh, mm. the sort of emotional centre of the family. She's incredibly loyal. She's very loving. She's very warm. She's very funny. She can be she can be stubborn if she thinks she's in the right. Um, uh, she, you know, she won't back down. Probably a result of having a, a gobby brother who got all the smoked salmon who was a year older than her. Um, but yeah, she's got a lot of friends. Um, she's talented. She's a great artist. Um, uh, she's been a great mum. I mean, I, I've got I. You know, I struggled to, and as an elder brother, I would love to, you know, unleash some devastating secrets about my sister that, <laughs> that would embarrass her. But she's pretty amazing, I have to say. She's pretty wonderful. If you had to wind up, if I really pushed you to to yeah. not gush about her quite so much, but to really press yeah, her I know, buttons. Yeah, it's annoying, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, it is. I mean, it's one of the, the, the fallbacks of this podcast, really, is you only get siblings that really, really want to hang out together <laughs> on a podcast together. <laughs> Yeah, no one, no one that hasn't spoken for twenty years or anything like that. Yeah, exactly. He's great. Oh my god, he's just so great. <laughs> did he say that about me? <laughs> yeah, he did. He said you were the best. So it's going to be an arm wrestle for who's the best. I think. <laughs> I know, it's sick, isn't it? What's it like working with her? Would you say best bits and worst bits? It's great because, firstly, we we totally have our own lanes. So she has no pretensions to be a writer, and I am utterly hopeless at art. So. From that point of view, it's great. And also, I just don't have to explain what the joke is ever mm. uh, because we have the same sense of humour and she totally gets it. Mm. I did read somewhere that you're writing. I mean, obviously, I've spent a few minutes with Anita and she laughs easily and it's really oh, delightful God. to make her laugh. I love it. So, And I read somewhere that that's basically what your writing career centres around is trying to make your sister laugh. Yeah. I mean, she's the first person that reads the books pretty much. And also, I'm trying to offer up opportunities for her to be brilliant and to be funny i mean this new book the uh, unlikely rise of harry sponge i've given all the guards in the palace hats that are that are stuffed beavers basically they they for some <laughs> ceremonial reason going back and no one quite knows why all their hats are dead beavers that have been stuffed <laughs> And they keep sliding off the top of their heads. And I really only put that in because I wanted to see Anita's drawing because <laughs> I knew it would be hilarious. And it is. I had so much fun. I just thought when I was drawing that, I thought, oh, I love my job so much. I really thank you. <laughs> Beavers that are covering their eyes and just that kind of petrified look <laughs> with their hands sticking out. <laughs> I also have a theory about siblings and not everyone's picked up on this and it's really disappointing when they don't, but I think you're going to, so I'm going to lay it out there again, which is the sort of Pictionary factor that me and my sisters, I can pick up a card in Pictionary and go, all oh, right, draw a line and she'll go, oh, caravan. 
and that sort of in <laughs> and everyone else is like what the hell and I wondered whether you have that like you must have to work like, in the way that I've read that you work to sort of understand each other on that level you must sort of share a thought pattern or a brain in some oh, way oh completely and uh, you know he, some of the names he's given characters in this book I'm still laughing at them like someone <laughs> called Dr Barbara Face Problem <laughs> you're just like i'm just i'm just sitting here drawing someone quite a tight deadline and i'm drawing just thinking what what the actual (laughs) (laughs) well we don't only share a sense of humor and a brain i mean we share we look if i ever do a job where i have to wear a wig i mean i might as well (laughs) i might as well call myself anita and move into your house because I look exactly the same as you. <laughs> there is a resemblance. There, there a, a is a resemblance. resemblance. It's incredible. <laughs> I wanted to talk to you both about, um, this pertains obviously to your book as well, The Escape Rooms. But when I asked you both to describe your characters, Stephen said that Anita was like the heart of the family. And Anita, you said Stephen was like, not in a godfathery, weird, creepy <laughs> way, but like the head of the family. <laughs> and I just wondered how that had all rejigged. Because obviously I've read that you lost your mum when she was really young and your dad not very long afterwards 45 and 63 I think yeah and I wonder whether your roles and your positions in the family kind of shifted at that time you know when mum died dad went from sort of disciplinarian dad to friend dad so I think your roles shift every time somebody in the family dies you know and then when dad died yeah Stephen was I mean I think it's fair to say we all supported each other but it felt like we sort of looked to him for all the answers. <laughs> yeah, answers. <laughs> which is a shame because I don't have any. <laughs> but, um, uh, yeah, I think that's tr- that's probably true. Well, Dad was kind of on the sort of practical side of things, I suppose. Dad always dealt with that kind of thing, didn't he? And then when he yeah. wasn't around anymore, I suppose, yeah, I felt like I was Mr. Practical Answers to the nuts and bolts questions of life but emotionally I suppose we'd already started to share that out and you and Lisa had probably taken over that role more after mum had gone yeah Um, yeah I don't know it's it's hard isn't it because you you go through those two illnesses they're quite intense and they're quite um I mean you know you share a lot of things as siblings but something like that is 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 pretty about as big as it gets I suppose Mm because even when you have children you're having them in slightly separate way but those I'm not being articulate but those events bring you back into the family unit that you grew up in and mm. uh, yeah uh, but I think I was I was grateful that we could do it for both our parents and be around and look after them I mean at least we had that opportunity to do that and be together and get used to the idea that it was going to happen and then be there after it happened uh, I always think people who who get a knock on the door or the police turn up and there's been an accident or something that's the violence of that is horrific and even though we lost our parents young at least it was something we went through together and and, and dealt with together mm. and with the extended family as well so we'd, we'd have lots of people all the time hanging out at the house or the flat you know for, for each one so that it said so that yeah we were going through it together mm. absolutely yeah as a group as a pack Mm. I didn't know about your parents before I started reading your two books. And so Escape the Rooms was the one I read first and obviously um, figured out what it was about, about grief and taking time and being kind to yourself throughout it. And also the fact that you have to go through it. For those people who haven't read it, it's sort of an escape room idea that you can't shortcut grief. It's it's mm. uncomfortable and it's sad and it lasts as long as it lasts. 
Um, and I wondered wh- why you wanted to write a book quite like that for children or what it was about your experience you thought could help other children. Yeah, I don't know if I even consciously set out to write that book. It just, that's what it became. I um, I suppose even though we were in our 20s, well, I was in my 20s when mum died, only just about in my 20s, you still feel like a small child, I think, when one of your parents goes. Mm. Um, you still feel that sense of helplessness and the person or the people that were there who, who you know you hoped would always be there who was always protect you and look out for you and have the answers or some of the answers when they go you you do feel small and alone um and i don't know why i, I just obviously it was it's 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 a very present thing in my life always my my parents you know our family i think made a big impact on us and still yeah, yeah. does and it's very important to us so uh, it wasn't a rational sort of emo- a, a, an intellectual decision to write a book like that it was clearly something that I wanted to get out there and I also not sure that I mean I'm a great believer in comedy being a great forum to discuss even the most serious and difficult of subjects so I wanted to write a book that was basically fun and an adventure and and you know daft but to have this, have the kids going through something that was actually really deep and serious and difficult, because I think the two things sit side by side. I mean, in both our experiences with mum and dad, even in the darkest moments, there was a lot of very funny stuff that happened. Mm. And I think it's really important to be able to laugh in those moments. Otherwise, you really can be crushed by by what's going on. As long mm. as you can laugh, you're... you're you're still, you know, still somehow coping, aren't you? I think. But that, but that's also, you know, a very the very Irish, a very Irish way to to be talking about, you know, somebody's dead and this, that, and the other. Someone's just died and then crack a joke. You know, it's all it's all about that. It's just laughing and crying at the same at the same time. It's a bit like yeah. the Banshees of Inisherin, that <laughs> hilarity with depression, you know, in equal measure. <laughs> It's not like that at all. Yeah. <laughs> Don't throw fingers I... around at each other. <laughs> Yet. <laughs> Just you wait until you hear what I've said about you. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Um, I wanted to say thank you very much for coming on. And the new book is called The Unlikely Rise of Harry Sponge. And this podcast will be going out around about the same time the book is available. So it all should work beautifully. Lovely. Fantastic. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you to Stephen and Anita, and thank you too for listening. The Unlikely Rise of Harry Sponge, their latest book, is out now, and I heartily recommend it. Relatively is looking for a new sponsor for season five, and would so love to hear from anyone who might like to join our gang. Meanwhile, I've been working on a new podcast, which is out now, a storytelling show in tiny bite-sized episodes. It's called Where Are You Going? And a trailer for it will follow the music by Tanita Dickram. Please subscribe to it wherever you found relatively. And if you enjoy it, I'd love it if you could rate and review it, please. 
relatively hopes to be back later in the year with more sibling stories like these ones to share. Extra research for season four was by Rachel Oakes and sound design was by Mix Sonics and it is a pocket production. There's a good tradition of love and hate Staying by the fireside There's a good tradition of love and hate Staying by the fireside Another rain may fall Your father's calling you You still feel safe inside Although your ma's too proud Your brother's ignoring you You still feel safe inside Oh, was it solo? Was it yesterday? Was it true for you? Cause while all the rest have taken time This didn't do So we are off to the seafront to go do a photo shoot and the vibe is like an alien princess on a walk of shame. Just enjoying the sun and searching for sausage dogs. <laughs> I'm with that beautiful girl there who's my daughter and we're going for coffee. Where are you going? One simple question and countless surprising stories from perfect strangers. I'm going all up to 125th Street. What is it you're going to do there? i got to go up the bathroom. Buy a pair of pants. My name's Catherine Carr, and I'm the host of this brand new podcast. There's no preparation, no research. I just travel to different places around the world and ask one question. Where are you going? The stories people tell me are amazing. They're beautiful, heartbreaking, funny, silly, and always surprising. I might go to Tesco to get some groceries, but it's the first time experiencing snow, so... Really? Yeah, it's my first time experiencing snow, so I'm super excited. <laughs> Over the years, we thought, okay, when we, when we thought of someone to share our lives with, we thought, okay, let's marry our best friends, that would be easy. <laughs> What's his show name, then? His show name, Sayadina Northern Lights. Sayadina Northern Lights, and he's got a shower cap on. No, that's a snood. Keep his ears what blows my mind is how conversations start off one way and end up somewhere completely unexpected it happened in a split second but it felt like five minutes it was all in slow motion so my brain was thinking you should have said something shouted so you could move but it was like blink of an eye and he was gone you know this is the podcast that cuts straight to the stuff of life. After she died, I had a job to go out because I used to put my hand on the on the door and turn down the handle. And as soon as I put my hand on the door, I said, no, I can't go out. And that went on for about six weeks. Follow this podcast and in each and every episode, you'll go on a tiny little journey. As I went by the gate... Uh, the robin hopped on and sat on the gate as much to say, you're home now and this is where you belong. Search for Where Are You Going? wherever you normally find your podcasts. Be sure to hit subscribe to make sure you never miss a story because you just never know. Liberate it! Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for talking. Nice to see you. I hope the sun stays out for you. Yeah. Bye-bye.
This see, is all sound? This is all just sound. That's cool. You ask a question, I'll answer it. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 